Psychologists tell us that people who fit the category of being a sociopath always lack two key human traits, empathy and compassion. Maybe once in a while, we run across someone whose compassion seems to be seriously lacking. They may not be sociopathic, but we always feel like we've been called up short when we witness a person who just cannot be much moved by the pain or the plight of others. Something seems off about that. Certainly, as Christian followers of Jesus, we are called to display the virtue of compassion. And today on Groundwork, we will explore exactly that. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, we are beginning here a new six-part series on what we're calling the virtues of the New Testament. Now, in the past on Groundwork, we we did a big nine-part series once on the fruit of the Spirit, as we find those nine fruit listed in Galatians 5. But there are other parts in the New Testament, particularly in the writings of the Apostle Paul, where Paul extols other Christ-like virtues that aren't in the fruit of the Spirit list. And in this six-part series, we're going to look at some other virtues that we'll cover in this order. Compassion, humility, thankfulness, generosity, truthfulness, and finally, forgiveness. And we should also note we did a three-part series some time back on what we call the three cardinal virtues, faith, hope, and love. All right, kind of the things at the end of 1 Corinthians 13. We did a series on the unsung virtues, which were really more like giftings and callings, things like service, mercy, hospitality. And by contrast, we did a series on the seven deadly sins, which are the opposite, of course, of, of Christian virtues. But in this program, we're going to take up the first of those uh, virtues you just listed, Daryl, and that is compassion. I think it's important for us to have, Scott, a working definition of what a virtue is for those who may not know. I know a lot of us may know, but for those who don't know, I think that us understanding that a virtue is a high moral and character standard. It's uh, the bar that you set your life to Mm. that you do not uh, allow yourself to waver from or compromise from. It's the essence of who you want to be and who you are. And so when you do the things that are in the list, it's not that that creates the virtue. It's out of the virtue of your heart. You display these categories and these character traits that Paul and many others in the scriptures have identified. When people think about us, when people look at us, we want them to associate us with these virtues. Oh, he's so compassionate. She's so compassionate. And indeed, that's the first virtue we're talking about. We want this to characterize who we are. We want to be known for this, right? right? We don't want to be known as, oh, he's stingy. Oh, he's so critical. No, we want to be known for good things like compassion. Uh, Rough and ready definition, the English word is a compound of the Latin cum, with, pati, to bear or to suffer, so compassion is to suffer with, to bear with somebody, and not just to suffer with them, but the compassion also leads us to work to alleviate the suffering of the other person. We don't want to just identify with them and leave them in their suffering. If possible, we want to do something to get them out of it, to heal it, to alleviate it. And I know that I'm not the only one who has felt the love and the presence of a compassionate person who actually is with you, whether they say the right word or they just sit with you or they pray for you. This person is one that actually brings uh, restoration and healing Mm -hmm. to you in a very tangible way that both of you can feel. So we want to be those kind of people that express compassion in very tangible ways. 
empathy gets involved here too. Now, the New Testament doesn't really have a word per se for empathy, but it's linked to compassion. Empathy is your ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, right? Empathy is looking out at the world through their eyes. Imagine what they must be feeling. And empathy and compassion usually work side by side. They work in tandem. In fact, some People may be familiar with this uh, thing called Strength Finders. It's an inventory of personal strengths. You take this long inventory, and then they've got this algorithm that spits out your top five personal strengths. Those can be things like you are an arranger or you're a very analytical person. There's about 36 different strengths. Uh, For me, Daryl, empathy was pegged as my number one strength. And what that means for me is I don't know how I'm wired to do this, but I, I kind of intuit keenly how the people around me are feeling. Daryl, right now, if, if you got really emotional and, and you got on the brink of tears, I will know you're g- going to feel that way before you shed a tear. I just sense that that's where you're going. Usually it makes me tear up too. That's what empathy is. It's a gateway to compassion. No wonder God made you a pastor, Scott. I mean, he <laughs> gave you the heart to walk with people and care for them where they are. And that is the beauty of it. We actually see it in the New Testament here in Matthew chapter 9. It says, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And we see it again in Matthew chapter 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And in the next chapter, chapter 15 of Matthew, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and they've had nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Again and again, Jesus lifts up his eyes. He sees something, a situation of need, people who are harassed and helpless and confused and hungry, and he has compassion, which leads him to want to do something. In English... Uh, Daryl, we would say when we see, oh, my heart goes out to him. Oh, my heart went out to that guy. We locate compassion and love in our hearts. In the New Testament, the word locates it somewhere else. Uh, yeah, in the guts, in the intestines. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the King James, it says in the bowels. Yeah, yeah. It's a very visceral place, a very, very deep and core place. And uh, we have this saying uh, where we say, trust your gut. Uh, my gut told me this. My gut told me that. And it's coming from the idea of this metaphor that the compassion comes from a very deep place. When I was a kid, I thought those bowels of mercy, I thought it was bowls of mercy, and I could never figure out what a bowl of mercy would look like. But right, uh, we say my heart goes out to him. Jesus would say my gut goes out to them. This is coming from my, my viscera. It's a visceral reaction. It's coming from the core of who you are. Compassion is at the core of who Jesus is. It's at the core of what led him to heal the sick, to feed the crowds, because compassion, Daryl, is always supposed to lead you to action. And if you notice in Jesus in John chapter 11, when he heard about how uh, his friend Lazarus Mm -hmm. died, and then he's at the place where people are weeping and wailing, there's this untranslatable word in John that he convulsed. He had this feeling, this deep, visceral compassion that came from him. And we need to understand that compassion is not just something we're supposed to just sit and feel. It's it's calling us to action. It can never be theoretical. You can't have compassion in the abstract in an ivory tower and not do anything. Or sometimes compassion leads you to not do something. Uh, And that always reminds me, Daryl, of Hosea chapter 11 in the Old Testament. God in that chapter compares the Israelites to young children whom God raised and he nurtured with great love, but then the kids turned bad. The children turned away from God, and God's on the, on the brink of punishing them. And so Hosea 11 brings God right up to the brink of wrath, but then God relents. We read, 
My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God Most High, I will by no means exalt them. And then there's this pause. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma or make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger. And so God's compassion is linked to God's loving kindness and his desire above all to forgive even wayward people. But in just a moment, we'll look at some other places in scripture, particularly in the New Testament, where compassion is addressed. So stay tuned for that. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. I'm Scott Jose, and Daryl, let's dig right back into Scripture and consider these words from the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, there's that word again, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And obviously, this is a key passage, Gerald, for this whole six-part series that we're going to do on Groundwork. Many of the virtues we're going to talk about in this series are in those verses that we just read from Colossians 3, 12 to 14. But what's interesting idea is the clothing metaphor, the clothing image. We're supposed to slip on a virtue like compassion the way we'd pull a wool sweater over our heads. We wear it. We display it. Uh, In fact, uh, my friend Neil Plantinga has said that what we get here in Colossians 3 is the wardrobe of Christ. I think it's important to think about the fact that it says you put on, Mm -hmm. you clothe yourself. So I can't clothe you, Scott. You can't clothe me. We're supposed to clothe ourselves. And so that that means that we have a personal responsibility to take on these attributes that God has put in us by his spirit. And the whole clothing metaphor just makes it even more picturesque and and illustrated. Yeah. Clothing. It's a big deal, Daryl. In 2022, the year 2022, the global fashion industry generated $1.7 trillion wow. in revenue. In the United States alone, it was it's a $345 billion industry in the U.S. on an annual basis. Worldwide, 430 million people work in some aspect of the clothing, fashion, or textile industries. It's a big deal. Um, And, you know, people who are at the pinnacle of clothing design, we know their names. Gucci, Prada, Vuitton, Chanel, Armani. This whole business of what we put on our backs is a big deal. You know, sometimes we've noted this before. We're we're willing to make ourselves walking billboard advertisements. We wear a shirt that says Tommy Hilfiger. You know, it's like, oh, great. I'm like a walking advertisement. But we also know that, you know, sometimes we we do send messages, Daryl. We we, we put on T-shirts that send political messages or other messages, or, or we wear the jersey of our favorite pro football or basketball team, and that sends a signal to the world. This is who I'm rooting for, right? Uh, this is who I'm rooting for in the World Series. This is who I'm rooting for in the Super Bowl or in NCAA finals. Our clothing can send a message. When we wear clothes 
Some of us may or may not know the subliminal things that happen when we wear clothes. We identify with the designer or with the athlete or with the person or with the statement. We have made some sort of connection to that or else we wouldn't wear it. And so I think Paul is making the illustration that you're supposed to identify with Christ. And this is what you wear when you identify with him, because he knows that when we wear clothes, we identify with who designed it and the messages behind it and all the values that come with just the clothes. It's not just ever clothes. So we need to understand that Paul is using that metaphor in the spirit. Every once in a while, uh, I've had it before. Maybe you have too, Daryl, that somebody will come up to me and just start talking to me about something. And it's like, why Why are you talking about this? And then I'll remember what T-shirt I put on that morning. It's like, oh, what he's talking about is on my T-shirt. I forgot I was wearing that. People see what you wear. Paul wants people to see what we wear. Paul wants us to put on Christ. That has to send a message too. We want our compassion in this case that we're thinking about in this episode. We want that to proclaim to people who we are or, or, or who we want to be. You know, so Paul says, when you go out into society, you go out into culture, you want to send the message that we are compassionate as Christ Jesus, our Lord, was compassionate. We are loving. We are people who care. We are people who want to be about the business of alleviating suffering, of feeding the hungry children, of advocating for the end of wars uh, that take the lives of the innocent. We want to show the world this is who we are and who we aspire to be. Let's not be like what the people talk about in the book of James where he says, hey, go away and be fed, but actually put some work behind that and actually demonstrate the character of Christ by doing something that your hand finds to do. So if we can show compassion in tangible ways, that means that the heart of God is in us and we can't ignore people's pains. We can't ignore people's frustrations or their setbacks if we can do something about them. Yeah, I mean, you can steal yourself. You know, you can turn the proverbial blind eye. But that would black compassion. That's a, a compassion blocker. Now, we have to admit, sometimes when we enter other people's pain through our empathy and our compassion, sometimes you hit a wall, Daryl. I mean, sometimes life is so complex. People get themselves into such terrible messes. You can enter their pain, but you honestly don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do here. Compassion means I, I'm supposed to help, but sometimes I don't know what to do. And, Daryl, what that also means about compassion is it characterizes something else that was true of Jesus. When you're compassionate, you're going to feel pain. You're going to suffer pain. So um, compassion, you, you define it as suffering with someone. Right. And so God knows that when he enters in relationship with us, that he's entering into a suffering relationship. It's going to ultimately cost him his life because mm -hmm. he loves us. And, and he's also called us to love one another in that sacrificial way. So it might take me out of my way. It might take me off my schedule today. It might be a quote unquote inconvenience to me. But if I'm displaying the love of Christ, I am sacrificing that because you need help right now. And I would love to have someone help me in that situation as well when I am needing help. So I know that I am called to be the one who lives in that way. A friend of mine has a very tender heart, very compassionate person, and, and he always chokes up in sorrow. He starts to cry whenever he hears a sad story about an animal suffering or getting killed or some other tragic situation. He'll, he'll just get very emotional. He often says, oh, I wish I weren't like this. And I'm glad he is, because again, like I just said, the alternative would be shutting your eyes to the pain around us, shrugging off what's tragic, uh, chalking up somebody's difficulties. Well, that's not my problem. You know, every once in a while, Daryl, you run across someone like that, and, and what do we often say? How can you be so cold? 
You know, I mean, that's a question and an exclamation at the same time. How can you be so cold? How can you be somebody who just doesn't care? You, you mentioned James. Let's just read it real quick. You know, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? James writes. And well, what good indeed? Well, compassion is going to lead us to move into the places where people have needs and it will help us to be decentering of ourselves. Mm, so right. we're not it's not about me and my problem and looking out for number one. It's actually being able to see outside and love the other, whoever the other may be. In just a few moments, though, as we close out this program, we'll ponder a few final implications of exercising, putting on this virtue of compassion. So stay tuned. glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork Conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork, and we're going to kick off this final part of this program on the virtual compassion with Paul's opening words in 2 Corinthians 1, which say, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. That phrase, Father of compassion, sticks out to me, Scott. Very nice. And again, it makes compassion a core trait of Almighty God himself. And then, as you just read, Darrell, notice immediately what that leads Paul to say next— this is also why he's the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles. Uh, and compassion, uh, and you mentioned this in passing in the previous segment, Daryl, compassion definitely has that key dimension of providing comfort. And so what we see in the scripture right here is that the God of all comfort is the father of compassion. Right. He is the one we actually learn our model from. So he's showing us the compassion and demonstrating it in our own lives. And so based on those notes, if you will, we get to go into other people's lives and just basically do what the father has been doing in our life, which is be there, be present and encourage and bring comfort when we need it. You know, we said earlier that every once in a while, if you're a compassionate, empathetic person, you will find yourself identifying with people and moving into situations of people that are – situations that are so complex, you don't know where to begin. Maybe you can't solve it. You know, you, you look at people living in terrible war zones, and as we record this now, there are terrible wars going on in Ukraine, in the Middle East. Children are dying. People are suffering. Or, or some of us know people who have struggled mightily with addiction or, or they've been in terrible situations of abuse. And, you know, you don't know what to do. So as you just said, maybe I can't fix it, but I can at least comfort. I know in this situation where my mom was battling depression— you can't just say a word to cheer her up. Right. You just can't. You can't 
make everybody feel better in that situation, you basically just sit with them. And, you know, if they want to get up, you help them get up. If you want them to get clothed and get dressed, you help them get dressed. You give them something to eat. And you, the ministry of presence is what's happening. And so being able to sit with that person and not try to fix it. Sometimes I don't know what to say, right. but that's fine because I'm not called to say anything at that moment. I'm called to be with her. On Groundwork, we did a series in the book of Job a while back. And, you know, we noticed when Job's friends come to him in his utter desolation, for the first week, they just sit with him. They don't say a thing. They're at the height of their usefulness at that point, because once they start to talk, things go off the rails quite quickly. But for that week, they just sit in solidarity with Job. And that's what we can do. Maybe we can't always fix it, but uh, much though our compassion and empathy make us want to be able to fix it, but we can at least let the other person know they're not alone, right? 90% of life is just showing up, somebody once said. And as you just said, Daryl, it's the ministry of presence. This is compassion, too. And, and as we saw in that Second Corinthians 1 uh, verse, that is what also is the link between God being the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. I work in the jail um, as a chaplain. I think the essence of chaplaincy work is sitting with people. Mm. Um, sometimes they're in hospice and they're, and they're dying and they're getting ready to go on to be with the Lord. And you're not there to fix it. You're not there to solve it, but you are there to be with them as a representative of the presence of Christ. You are there. And so I see it in the jail and the inmates and I being, I'm able to sit with them and, and allow God to allow his presence to come through me there. And sometimes God's presence comes to me through them. And it's really powerful to see as you sit together in the Word and in the name of the Lord. I've had that, too, uh, in uh, connection to our Kelvin Prison Initiative. When I go to the prison where we work and where we hold our college classes or university classes, so often the the, the guys, the, the, the inmates say, it's just so nice you showed up. It's just so nice to have you here, right? I mean, you know, Jesus says, I was a prisoner and you visited me. Just being there, you know, uh, doesn't get them out of prison. It can't undo the bad thing they did that put them into prison. But just being there means so much to them. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves uh, in this series. Our final program is going to be on the virtue of forgiveness. But I think, Daryl, in this program on compassion, we'd be remiss if we didn't notice the snug connection in the Bible between compassion uh, and the practice of forgiveness. And that always leads me to recognizing the fact that compassion is the real kicker in one of the most famous of all parables, the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. I mean, you know, just a quick rundown of that story. There's this young son, a younger son. There's two sons. The younger son says, hey, get dad, give me my inheritance now. And he's basically saying, you're dead to me. I'd like you to give me my inheritance. And the father doesn't argue with him, gives him the inheritance. He runs off to a distant country in wild living and then comes to his senses and realizes he's sinned against his father and sinned against God. He wants to go back home. And the compassion that his father shows him when he returns and the forgiveness that he shows him is the essence of what what I think you're talking about, Scott. And it's a big deal. I mean, scholars tell us that in the ancient Near East, for a son to go up to his father and say, drop dead, you know, legally, drop dead legally, put your last will and testament into effect while you're still alive and give me my money. Nobody would do that. (sighs) What he did was genuinely, genuinely terrible. But he finally decides he's going to go home. He's not even going to be asked to be restored as a son. What he did was too terrible. It'll be fine if he's a servant, fine if he's a slave. He's got this well-rehearsed little uh, speech that he runs over over and over and over in his head. Father, forgive me. I've sinned against heaven and against you, blah, blah, blah. He never gets to say it because here's what we read in Luke 15. So the son got up and went to his father, but— While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. 
So, Daryl, how important is this virtue of compassion we've been thinking about? Well, it's this important. The whole Bible makes clear, Old Testament and New, we're saved by the compassion of God. If we've experienced salvation by grace alone, it's because God saw us when we are a long way off in our sin and misery, but his compassion was stirred and he forgave us. Oh, man, you preaching, Scott. I love I it, know. man. I, can't uh, I think that the atonement of Christ, the Bible specifically says that at the cross, judgment and compassion kiss. Mm. It's exactly where the good news is displayed to us. And God shows compassion on his children in that moment. And we literally see God's love poured out. And again, we said just a little bit ago from that passage in 2 Corinthians 1, uh, God is the God of compassion, the Father of compassion, but he's also the God of all comfort. And what that implies, Paul says, is that because we have received the comfort of God, we are equipped to comfort also the people around us in life. We are, as we said, we're called to put on compassion like a garment. We display it to the world. This is who we are. This is what we want to be known for. We are compassionate people. And we are because Christ Jesus is the perfect role model to do that. And for that, we give God our thanksgiving. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Daryl Delaney and Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we learn about the Christ-like virtue of humility. Connect with us at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit the website ReframeMinistries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. 